Mark Drake is on a mission to train leaders around the world about the miracle and mystery of Christ living his life in and through all who will believe. Join us on this journey into the heart of the real new covenant and the transforming power of true grace. Linda and I have three children. We, we, uh, we had two real fast when we first got married, just little hippie kids, didn't know quite what we were doing. And then 12 years after that, we had our third child, Amanda. And uh, so in 1997, uh, after pastoring for almost 30 years, but having a very uh, bent view of God and his nature, I had a, an amazing uh, encounter uh, with the Lord that really changed the way I saw God. And out of, out of all that is what I minister here and around the world today. But in 1997, Amanda, our youngest daughter, was only 12. And the first thing Linda and I did uh, in conjunction with our pastoral leadership at that time was we got rid of everything we owned in our home and we began to travel 52 weeks out of the year and just had a P.O. box and we just traveled nonstop holding meetings, sharing uh, the message of both God's mercy and his transforming grace. Well, Amanda was only 12, so she gave up her home and her pets and her friends and all of that. And for the next many years, she grew up living uh, that lifestyle. When she was 15, we were of course, always, always on the move. When she was 15, uh, just as a joke, as a, just on a whim, she saw an advertisement for a nationwide acting competition. And uh, she had never acted before, but she wrote a monologue and videotaped herself in a motel room doing this monologue. 22,000 people entered, and she won. And, uh, yeah, we thought, oh, Lord, what are you doing now? This is interesting. And, and of course, everybody thought I was her agent when they took us to New York. And I said, no, I'm her, I'm her daddy. And NBC interviewed her and said, uh, where do you live, Amanda? And she said, nowhere. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, everywhere. But as a result of that, she immediately started getting job offers, and we waded through the stuff we felt like she could do and would do and so she started working in LA acting taking small parts on TV shows and and then in some movies and when she was uh, 19 going on 20 she began to get severe pains in her back she was actually on a movie shoot with French Stewart and uh, she she began to hurt so badly that she was staying in the trailer all the time she just had to rewrite the end of the shooting schedule because she just couldn't, she just couldn't finish. And after going to all the specialists that we could find around the country, they finally realized that she was born with a very rare genetic disease that caused the nerves in her spine to begin to die. And it was extremely painful, constant pain, getting worse and worse all the time. And so finally, we had to get a place to live. We couldn't keep going uh, the way we were. So we got a home back in St. Louis, brought Amanda back home. And, of course, it was interesting. Uh, we do all of our missions work because of the partners who support what we do. We actually lost some partners during those days when we put out uh, the word that Amanda was sick, please pray for her, and we're taking her to doctors. We had people who said, well, I'm not going to support you because you don't have faith. If you had faith, you wouldn't be taking your daughter to the doctor. You'd just be trusting God. And fortunately, 
I read that in an email and I wasn't with that person when they said that. So I, I didn't anger and sin. Um, but, uh, but we took Amanda back to St. Louis and just right after we got there, she met a young man in a gathering of some Christian friends they'd never met before, but they met that one time. And then two weeks later, uh, she got so bad that she was bedridden. And for the next five years, she was bedridden 24 hours a day. Could never be left alone. She spent at least two days every month in the hospital. And uh, it, was a, it was a rough go, a very, very rough go. But this young man who met her uh, just a couple of weeks before she was finally down um, called up and said, could I come and, and uh, see your daughter? And I said, well, she's, she's bedridden these days. She only gets out of bed for a few minutes each night. He said, well, that's okay. I'll be glad to just wait, if you'll let me, work, uh, work on my computer. He's a school teacher on your couch and, and just wait. If she can come out, then we can just sit on the couch. Which, by the way, fathers, excellent way to allow your daughter to date. Um, really good if you can pull it off. On the other hand, it was very costly, uh, and it was her health. But um, So anyway, he started coming. And uh, after a few months, I took him to lunch and said, Look, man, you, you need to find somebody else. I appreciate that you care deeply for my daughter. Uh, and though we are asking daily that she be healed, we have no guarantee of when, where, or how that's going to happen. And you need to, you need to be getting married. And so he'd say, well, you know, could I, just, could I just keep coming for a few more weeks? Well, that turned into a year and two years and four years and five years. And then one summer, six years ago, she just started getting better. Uh, we weren't praying any differently. We weren't medicating her any differently. There was no treatment for this. Um, she just started getting better. And in six months, she went from bedridden 24 hours a day, literally 24 hours a day, to being out of bed six, eight hours a day and able to get around and do and still struggle. But she just she just rapidly got better. And so uh, I told him, you know, hey, you know, if you want to propose, I think, well, I know she'll say yes, uh, but I think now is the time. So they did. Six years ago, they got married. That was a, a miracle for our daughter. It was really, yeah, it was really wonderful. The doctors didn't think she would live, but now she's much, much better, and she's married. And so they've been married for six years, and two months ago, they bought their first house. And so that was very exciting. They had been living in our home, and now they bought their first house. And so we all got together for this past weekend to celebrate the wedding of her nephew, my grandson. And uh, then after all that was over, they, my daughter, Amanda, and her husband, Aaron, they also had an announcement, uh, if you'll put that up there. And their announcement was, she's pregnant. Not only did the doctors say that it was not possible for her to get pregnant. They didn't think she'd be alive now 10 years later. But in fact, she's doing quite well. Go to the next uh, picture if you would. And of course, this is my wife, Lyndon. This is our youngest daughter. And our baby is having a baby. And you can see the little pooch there where it's a little <laughs> sticking out there. And uh, it, these, are, these are exciting times. Now, I say all that to say this. I want to I share with you today... Uh, on this line of thinking, that there is a way for God's people to live without disappointment. Now, I'm not talking about the disappointment that comes when you're 
kids playing soccer and you're hoping that they score the winning goal and they don't. And you, That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of disappointments that we all face that are gut-wrenching, that are faith-shaking, that are, that are traumatic in our lives. And yet Jesus continually said things like, do not worry. Do not worry. You're more valuable to the Father, so do not worry. Your worry is not going to help anyway. It'll only make things worse, so do not worry. We, we are in the lineage of faith of people like Paul who said, for this one thing we know that God will cause all things to work together for the good of those who love Him. And that, that God works all things, he said to the Ephesian church, after the plans of His own purpose and His own will. During these years when Amanda was the sickest, she would get emails from people all over the world because I was traveling and uh, sharing her testimony. And Guidepost magazine, in one of their magazines, they ran a feature on her. And so a lot of people knew about her story. And so she would get emails daily. Um, We did set it up so that I got to see the emails before she did. Because I did not want her getting emails saying, you don't have any faith and what's the matter with you. Uh, I'm her dad. I'm going to protect her from that kind of what I believe to be very misguided thinking. And uh, But she was getting great emails from people all over the world. And invariably, it, sincere people, they, they loved her, they loved me, and they loved her. And, and so they would write things like this. They would say, you know, we've heard about your story, we've read about it, or we met your dad. And, and uh, we're praying for you that God will heal you. And invariably, uh, these wonderful, sincere people would say something like, so that God would heal you so that your life would be better. And they were very sincere and very loving and very gracious, and we appreciated it very much. However, Amanda, in a very tactful way, always responded to people who would say something like that and say, I really appreciate your prayers. Please continue. The Bible says that we should lift one another up in prayer. And so I appreciate that. But I do want you to know that if I do not, if I do get healed physically in this life, that that'll be great. But my life will not be better. My life will be different if I get healed in this life. But my life will not be better. And I say that, she would say, because I have learned to live in unwavering peace and abounding joy. In the sovereignty and the goodness of my God. So if I get healed, that'll be cool. I will end up doing different things. But if I don't in this life, I'll still have a great life. Because I will be doing the will of God, come what may. Linda and I begin to learn a lot about disappointment from our daughter. We learned a lot about this unwavering trust that she had. She prayed for other people constantly, and many of them got healed. I was out praying for other people around the world, and some of them got healed. But I prayed for my own daughter, and she didn't. And we began to learn from her what the Bible means when it talks about living without disappointment. Now, I want to read to you from Luke chapter 24. I want you to pay attention to a few words here. Go over this rapidly. Now, that same day, two of them, these are, this is after the, the crucifixion. 
They don't know it, but it's after the resurrection too. But these two guys are not aware of that yet. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up, walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing together, discussing together as you walk along? Notice these words. They stood still, their faces downcast. They were very disappointed about something. And then it goes on and it says, and one of them named Cleopas said, or asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and you do not know the things that have happened here uh, in these days? What things he, Jesus, asked? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped. Now, these are critical words here. We already know that these guys are discouraged. They're downcast. They're feeling bad. They're feeling let down which is really what the disappointment is all about. I, I've, I've been let down. I was expecting one thing. And, and then they say, and this is the key to their disappointment. We had hoped. Now notice what they were hoping in. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Notice their language. Not the one who has redeemed, but the one who was going to redeemed but apparently in their way of thinking he had not so they were disappointed because the outcome that they were hoping in and through jesus something else happened than what they were hoping would happen and in addition to that some of our women have amazed us they went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body of course you know the problem they have is they didn't believe women In Jewish law, a woman could not testify in court because her testimony was not to be trusted. And yet Jesus, elevating women in all the earth, appeared to them first. And of course, they didn't have any problem believing. It was not a woman who said, unless I see the holes in his hands. I won't. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I need to. I'm running out of time. Please, I need to keep, I need to keep moving. And I may be run out of town. I need to keep moving. We celebrated the life of a woman yesterday who, if she was at the grave, she would have believed. She did believe. She is among those whom Jesus said, blessed are they who do not see, but they do believe. Now, of course, she gets the benefit now of seeing what she's been believing all these years. Absolutely. Oh. We miss her. She's not missing this place. We miss her. <laughs> oh, listen, yesterday was awesome. Oh, that we could celebrate the lives of people who put their faith in Christ. The way the family celebrated yesterday was amazing. It was just awesome. Now, Jesus, of course, rebukes them and says, do you not understand what the prophets have spoken? This starting again this Wednesday night, I'm doing a seven o'clock eight uh, to eight thirty class on how to look at the Old Testament, read the Old Testament with new covenant eyes. And that's what Jesus did here. Verse 27, it says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. Now, 
it's important for us to understand the dilemma that they are facing here. The dilemma is that they are deeply, deeply disappointed. But what they're disappointed in is what they were hoping would happen did not happen when, where, or how it happened. They were hoping for it to happen in a different way. And when it didn't happen the way they were expecting, they didn't believe it happened. They were hoping that the Christ would come and redeem Israel. He did. But because it didn't happen when, where, and how they thought, they were then disappointed. Now let's talk about disappointment. Give me the uh, slide. Disappointment simply means not appointed. To find out what was appointed to happen is not what I had hoped would happen. That's what disappointment is all about. But as a believer, as one who belongs to the sovereign God, who lives above and beyond time and knows all things before it happens, who belongs to the God about whom David said, before there was ever a word come out of my mouth, you already knew everything I was going to say. Before there was ever a day of my life lived, you had already seen them all. When I realize that that's the one to whom I belong, then this verse makes sense. He who puts his hope in the Lord will never be disappointed. That's the thing that goes all the way through the scripture. These are just a few of the places. There's a lot more. Psalm 22, 5, Romans 9, 33, Romans 10, 11, 1 Peter 2, 6, and in many, many other places. This theme runs throughout the scripture. That he who puts his hope in the Lord will never be disappointed. Then what happens when circumstances go, in my limited understanding, badly and I'm disappointed? What has happened there? What has happened when I need a job and I see that job and out of all the other jobs I've seen, that is clearly the best one for me. And I'm claiming that job and I don't get it. And now I'm disappointed. What has happened there when the scripture says so clearly, he who puts his hope in the Lord will never be disappointed. Now, again, I'm not talking about, you know, you're disappointed because you were going to be on time and then you spilled coffee on your shirt and you had to change your shirt. And now you're not. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what all of us face repeatedly in our lives. The kind of gut wrenching, heartbreaking, hope stealing Bad stuff that happens in people's lives. And the old age old question of, well, why do good things happen to bad people? Well, we really ought to turn it around and say, well, why do good things? Or yeah, I'm sorry, I did, I did say it right. Why do bad things happen to good people? When we really ought to look at it and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why do good things happen to bad people? Because they do. They do. And the answer is because God is a good God. He is a merciful God. He is patient. He is long-suffering. And it is heart's desire that all would finally come to him. Sadly, they won't. But that's his desire. So if I am one who believes what the word says from beginning to end, he who puts his hope in the Lord, then how do I get disappointed? Well, the reason is simple, but it is life-changing. I find myself falling into the snare of putting in my hope in what I want the outcome to be. You say, well, 
I, I, don't, I don't understand the difference. If I put my hope in the Lord, then I am giving him complete permission to be the sovereign God and to make the choice that he, because he knows the end from the beginning for me, the choices that he would make that would be radically different at times from the choices that I would make because according to the book of James, as we were teaching through weeks ago, we kept coming back to that place in James where James says, don't say you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Say if the Lord will. Why? Because you don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't even know if you're going to live to see tomorrow. But God does. So if I put my hope in the Lord, that means that I'm not dictating to him how, when, where he must do it. I am saying to him, this is a need that I think I have. This is what looks good to me. And I'm asking you because you told me to ask. But I want you to know that after the end of this prayer, I want whatever you want. Say, well, then just live fatalistically and don't ask. That's not what Jesus taught us. As Pastor Josh mentioned earlier, he's called us into partnership with him. We are apprenticing as sons and daughters of God. And in the same way, our children grow up and become more mature in what they expect, become more grown up and mature and, and righteous in the way they expect things. So we as the spiritual children of God, we're growing up in our ability to see things the way he sees them. But none of us are there yet. So if I put my hope in the Lord, what I'm saying is, this is a need that I have. I think this would be a good idea. And you are Lord. So I'm asking you to help me any way you choose. That looks good to me, but it's up to you. On the other hand, if my hope is in the outcome, then I am deciding when, where, and how it must be done. Then I've suddenly made myself what? Lord. Slight problem. Don't have the power to be Lord. Don't have the power to control circumstances. The Lord has all that power. So, so I've got to learn to develop. And we begin to learn this in a powerful way from our own little girl. Who looked at this and said, look, come what may. God is good. Every day. No matter where I was in the world during all those years, every day I would call her on the phone. No matter where I was in the world, I'd call her on the phone. And when she saw my name come up on her iPhone, she knew what was going to happen. I was going to answer and I was going to say, baby, it's time to pray. Father, we're asking you to heal Amanda. We would like for you to do it now. We know you can. So we're asking you to do it. And we want you to know that you are the sovereign God. And when it's all over, you do anything you want to do, any way you want to do it, and we'll be thrilled. He didn't do it the way I would have done it if I were him. Of course, that's because he knows everybody's future. Listen, what happens to you doesn't just impact you. It literally impacts thousands of people before it's all over. So God in heaven is working all this around, but it's not just about me. It's not just about you. It is about a God who promises to us that he will cause all things to work together for good 
in our lives if we love him. And that's the qualification. If we love him. Well, how many do? Oh, I do. I do. I love him. But the problem is, along with this disappointment, is that it sets us up for the dangerous game of interpreting circumstances. We trip up on this thing about, okay, well, okay, so that happened there, so so then I can't get that job, but that must be because God wanted to save me for that job over there. You know, all that kind of interpreting is not only a waste of time, but it sets us up for more disappointment. When you look at something and it doesn't turn out the way you were hoping it was going to turn out, the wise, mature thing to say is, thank you, Lord, because your choices really are always right. I want to live knowing his choices are always right. I want to live knowing that. Not long ago, Pastor Josh was talking uh, in one of his teachings about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament because of this incredible trust that these three young men had. I love the fact that when they, you know the story, they would not bow down. Now, by the way, though they did not bow down, they didn't curse Nebuchadnezzar either. They didn't pray bad things on him either. And they didn't criticize all the others who did bow down. They were simply speaking about themselves. And with respect, they said, O king, we cannot do what you've asked us to do. Now, we do believe that our God is able to deliver us. But if he chooses not to, it won't change us. We're not serving him, so he'll do what we want him to do. You say, well, wait a minute. We've got Bible verses. And when we read a Bible verse, isn't it right for us to say, God, you said this in your word. If you don't do this, you're going to be a liar. You know, you can flip through Christian TV and hear that kind of preaching today. Scares the dog out of me. I'm sorry, that's a southern phrase. You probably don't even say that after. No, it's just scares the salmon out of me. I just. You say, well, yeah, but can't we trust in the word? Absolutely we can. Let's go back to the very first situation. Two men, disciples of Jesus, walking along the road. Jews, born and raised in and around Jerusalem. They had been taught the word of God and the word of God concerning the Messiah all their life. They had chapter and verse. They just didn't understand them. I'm sorry, I was hoping for a better response than that. I mean, they could point to the prophecies and say, no, no, this is what it said. Until Jesus opened their eyes and said, no, no, I wrote that. I said that through them. That's not what they meant. You misunderstood. Wasn't God who misunderstood how the Messiah is supposed to come, how he's supposed to suffer and die? How that 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 wasn't your that wasn't God's fault. That's your fault because you didn't understand. So when we read the scripture, by the way, when we read the scripture, it would also be good to read how the people who were there at that time, how did they model the truth that we're reading about? 
How did they model the truth that, 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 that we're reading about? Let me give you a simple example. Jesus was in a boat in a storm and he stood up finally and... I love it. See, they said, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care that we're going to drown? See, they knew that if the boat went down, he can walk on this stuff. No worries for him. (laughs) Then Jesus says later on in John, the works that I do, you shall also do and even greater works. Now, we can read that and say, okay, well, what that means is that each of us individually are supposed to look at the life of Jesus. And whenever we encounter a difficulty, we are supposed to deal with it exactly the way Jesus dealt with it. Now, we can look at it that way. Or we could say, okay, what about the people who were far closer to Jesus than me? They heard him talking. They were, at the very most, like with Paul, one generation away from the people who heard them talking. How did they understand that? I want to suggest to you that men like Peter and Paul understood when Jesus said, greater work shall you do, he was referring to the body. Not an individual, but the body. Say, well, how do you know that? Well, let's take the example of the apostle Paul. Jesus was in a boat in a storm. He stood up, said, oh, shut up. And he did. (laughs) Then Paul was in a storm. said, well, WWJD. <laughs> but that's not what Paul did. Now, let me tell you something. An angel showed up. An angel appeared to him. And if the angel would have said, Paul, stand up and rebuke the storm, how many think Paul would have stood up and rebuked the storm? Of course. But Paul just didn't take this as, you know, some kind of a mimeographed sheet here. Okay, that's the way that I did it. So you've got to do it that way. Instead, he was looking to be led by God. And instead of the angel saying, stand up and rebuke it, here's what the angel said. This is a really bad storm, Paul. <laughs> Tell everybody to grab something that floats and hang on. But you see, we begin to interpret circumstances. Oh, well, this is what God wants to do. I don't know. Let's let's see how this plays out. Let's see how God may lead us. If you really believe you're being led, then go for it. If it turns out good, you were. If it doesn't, well, then say, "Eh, well, too much pizza the night before. Yeah, I brought this up before. Acts chapter 12. It's very, very powerful. Herod arrests James and has him beheaded. As soon as he saw how happy that made the Jewish leaders, he arrested Peter. An angel came, let Peter out of prison. What was wrong with James? Must have been sin in his life. Of course there was. And there was in Peter's and you and me and everybody else. Until he makes us forever sanctified. We are sanctified. We're being sanctified. We will be sanctified. But God had a different plan for Peter than he had for James. So we don't, we must not put our trust in when, where, and how. We can ask for that, but don't put your hope in that. Put your hope in God being God in your life. Don't ever be afraid to ask. Don't ever be afraid to ask big. 
But once you've asked big, then rest. Ask and rest, ask and rest, ask and rest. Well, how can you do that? Because I am more valuable. Jesus says in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, don't you know that you are more valuable to the Father than any other created thing? Oh, when we ask, understand who and why, we're asking the God who owns it all, And we're asking the God who does what he does because he loves us forever. The when, where, and how that he chooses to do it, we almost never know. Almost never know. Now, there are those times in my life, your life too probably, where God has supernaturally dropped a measure of faith where I believed that I understood how he was going to do it. And it turned out right. We'll not mention the times that it didn't turn out right, but that'll be in my next book. Three things really fast. Ephesians 5 says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. You want to be trusting in the Lord and not the outcome so you're not disappointed? Then keep on being filled with the Spirit. Romans 12, 1 says, keep your renewing your mind by presenting your bodies in the act of worship so that you will not conform to the image of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then Romans 5, 5. And I've come to believe that this statement in Romans 5, 5 is one of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says. May the living word right now, by the way, take this written word and make it come alive in each one of us. So that we can be free from painful disappointment. And hope never lets us be disappointed. Because the love of God keeps being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. If you're hurting this morning because you genuinely hoped And sincerely asked. But at least so far. God hasn't done it when, where or how you were hoping. That can be terribly painful. But the Holy Spirit can heal you of that. We all battle it, but he can heal you of that. And the way he wants to do it, at least one of the ways he wants to do it is by pouring a greater revelation of the love of God into our Hearts, not our minds, but into our hearts, because there's something miraculous that our hearts will tell our mind how to think. When our hearts are convinced, we can tell our mind, line up, line up. Would you stand with me, please? In just a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity. And I mean, a group this size, there's got to be a lot of us who are hurting this morning because terribly painful things have happened. And we had hoped that God was going to allow us to avoid it. But that's not the way it's turned out. But if the enemy can snatch that hope out of your heart and replace it with disappointment, it hurts. But the Holy Spirit can fill your heart with a hope that will never disappoint you.
because it is centered in the love of the sovereign God just for you. And oh, I didn't you love to hear Markel say, I'm out there telling people God loves you and has a wonderful plan to your life. And the Holy Spirit says, oh, time out. First, I'm talking to you, Markel. The Lord loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, We need some more of that today. If you do, the prayer team members are going to come right now. They're going to be up here in front. They want to minister to you and with you so that the Holy Spirit can pour a greater revelation of the love that the sovereign God has for you. Not someday, but right now. Amen. Join us on this new covenant journey at markdrake.org.